Agenda setting conversations of the day. On Friday, the Deputy Public Protector, Koleka Koleka, who was the acting public protector, released her report into the Palapala scandal after it emerged through the former spy boss, Arthur Fraser, that 580,000 US dollars in cash had been stolen from a couch on the farm owned by President Cyril Ramaphosa. Koleka cleared the president of wrongdoing, saying he was not involved in the day-to-day running of the farm and that he had reported the crime to a police officer. She did make findings against two of the police officers involved in what happened afterwards, including the head of the president's security detail, Wally Röder. Since then, the ATM and the DA have both said they will challenge her findings in court. Other opposition parties, including the EF, the EFF, have strongly criticised her findings, while the ANC says it accepts her findings. On Monday... Don't forget, KSAC told SAFM Sunrise that none of the people criticising the report had based their criticism on the law and on her report. Well, the acting public protector, Koleka Koleka, is on the line to talk to you now. Acting public protector, ma'am, good morning and thank you for your time on SAFM Sunrise. A very good morning to you, Stephen, and a very good morning to the SAFM listeners. You know, of course, all about the politics around this, and you, as as the person running the public protector's office, you have to, I suppose, try and ignore all of that. How did you come to the conclusion that President Ramaphosa was not directly involved in the running of this business that received money for the cattle? First and foremost, uh, Stephen, what we did as the Office of the Public Protector is that we had to divide the issues, you know, and say what are the issues really which are within the realm of the Office of the Public Protector. And that is really to to um, decide upon the evidence before us whether the president had actually violated the executive code by being involved in paid work or remunerative work, as it's described in the code as well as in the constitution. On that part, we found that, um, in fact, he was not. And how we arrived at that is that we evaluated the facts. First and foremost, this is a close corporation um, that the president is a member of or a director of. Now, how does a close corporation work? Um, In this instance, he's got uh, workers on the farm, the manager to the farm, Stefan Velach, and then it was uh, Glovo who who also relieved when von Velach is not available, and many other workers who worked at the farm. And how often is he at the farm? And how often does he interact with the runnings of the farm? Now, upon evaluating that and looking into several definitions of what that require, what's required to say that he actually um, receives remuneration for work done, therefore satisfying the context of, of remunerative work or paid work. Now, the president, particularly in this particular matter, when the transaction took place, the president was not there. Uh, he was um, on work duties and the managers say themselves that um, the president is not often at the farm. However, we do make acknowledgement in our report that um, the president is involved um, in the farm. However, does it satisfy the definition of day-to-day operations um, of the farm? And therefore, we could not find evidence that um, he was involved in the day-to-day operations of the farm, even though we found that he was he had involvement in the farm. And furthermore, to justify on the issue of the close cooperation that 
he obviously has members' interest, which qualifies as um, financial interest. And financial interest is actually not uh, what is forbidden by the code of ethics. He can have financial interest interests you know however it must not amount um to paid work so i understand that um i'm sure you're aware of the comments the president made after the story emerged he spoke at the anc limpopo conference and i think one of the parties that complained i think it was the atm uh, brought this to your attention but as the president said around his business and he was quoted in various places as saying this I buy and sell animals. Sometimes people buy these animals and some of the people who buy these animals are here. I do it through sales, sometimes through cash and sometimes through transfers. That phrase, I buy and sell animals, doesn't that suggest he was or is involved in the business? I mean, I buy and sell animals. We, we dissected that particular phrase, but of course we had to deal with it within the context of the overall evidence before us. And with the evidence before us, there is no evidence of the president physically buying or physically selling, um, particularly in respect of the matter around the Palapala saga. Having interviewed the workers at the Palapala farm, we could not come to the conclusion that that phrase in particular um, actually would make us arrive to a finding that says that the president is involved in the day-to-day running of the f- operations of the farm. And that for us is the, is the critical concept to be able to satisfy that he does paid work. Okay. You also say that, and this is in your findings towards the end of your report, but also uh, quite high up in your executive summary, you say, while the facts point towards the president being more involved in the management of the affairs of the close corporation than he appears to let on in his general submissions. And you go on to say you could not find evidence indicating he's actively involved in the day-to-day operations. What do you mean when you say, while the facts point towards him being more involved than he appears to let on? Yes, it's exactly what I pointed out to, that we make that acknowledgement. First and foremost, we we looked into the utterances, um, which you just stated now. And, for, and secondly, in the, in the fact that the president did discuss um, with, the far, with the farm manager that um, there were actually cattle that were substandard and that um, they required to be sold. And further, that the president discussed with the farm manager that um, there were buyers, you know, from other regions who were apparently um, in, um, interested you know, in the in the cattle. So those are the the different incidences that we refer to. But um, we then, upon evaluating the evidence, said that, however, that does not satisfy the day-to-day operations of that farm, because there are acknowledgments, as I've said, that he is seldom at the farm. This is how the business of the farm is handled. These are the people who handle that particular business. And from the evidence that we obtained, there was no indication that uh, the president then physically on a day-to-day basis handles the operations of the farm. Do you believe his submissions? Um, You say the facts point to him being more involved than he lets on in his general submissions. So do you believe that what he said in his submissions to you 
as the Office of the Public Protector that his submissions were true. It's not about believing or not believing the president's submissions, but really is evaluating his submissions against the facts and say, in line with what the public protector has got to prove, um, what is determined in the executive code, on, in the ethics code rather, what conclusion does one come to? And it is very clear in the report as we evaluate and analyze the evidence. Okay, but I mean, you must make a credibility finding on his submissions. And I think your credibility finding must be the facts point towards him being more involved than he lets on. I mean, that to me suggests, I'm not a lawyer, but it to me suggests that you don't quite believe his submissions. It is very clear, Stephen, in our report, as both you and I have alluded, that we do make an observation in the report that the president is more involved in the management of the farm. However, we cannot conclude that he is involved in the day-to-day business of the farm. That is very clear in the report. Okay. Um, So, on the one hand, we have the finding that he's not involved in the day-to-day running of the business, as you interpret the law. Um, So, uh, am I correct to believe, then, that someone can own a country, be president, but not run, sorry, someone can own a company, someone can own a company, be president of the country, not run the company on a day-to-day business, but the company could actually be doing business with other companies or another country that is harmful to the interests of South Africa. I mean, could Ramaphosa or a future president own a company that works against the country so long as he's not involved in the day-to-day running of it? Is that your interpretation of the ethics codes and how it all works? First and foremost, Stephen, the ethics code really is is to prevent a situation where the the head of state finds himself in a situation that he he does work, which becomes in conflict with um, his his responsibilities and, and duties as the head of state. Now, before us, and I hear the the examples that you are giving and, and other complainants furthermore made submissions and, and gave hypothetical examples, but the fact is those were not the facts before us and we had to deal with the facts before us that what actually happened um, in respect of this incident. So we cannot then um, go on and trying to make findings of of what could have and what could have happened. So if you really examine the issue of the conflict of interest, we really have to work on on what is before us. Okay, I mean, I accept all of that. Um, And I accept that there are legal processes and that they're very important um, and that you need to follow them and you need to follow the law and the Ethics Act, et cetera, et cetera. I think for many people, though, it's simply astounding that a president can receive and a company control a company owned by the president, um, for all intents and purposes, it seems controlled by the president, can receive foreign currency um, in dollars. You know, literally in dollars. It gets put in a couch by one of the employees. You explain all of that, then gets stolen. The person put it there because no one ever went into the room. Um, and yet, the president seems to get scot free. Comes comes away from your investigation scot free. Actually, Stephen. I do not agree that the president is is scot-free. As I said initially, that we had to deal with what was within our reham. I mean, there's the issue of the SARS. There's the issue of the sub investigation. There's the issue of the DPCI investigation, really, that will deal with the issues of how the money came into the country, etc., which 
is really for us extraterritorial um, work, which we do not have a mandate to. The issue of issues of offenses in line with the criminal law, which we cannot um, investigate as the Office of the Public Protector. We've got case law that points to that. The GEMS matter point that, pointed that, you know, if another competent in institution is investigating the matter, then there's the public protector should actually allow that institution to investigate the matter and not embark on parallel investigations. We've got further case law that point out to us having exceeded the bounds of our investigative powers into matters that we should not. And we have to the latter followed the law in that respect. So those institutions are investigating. Even the Public Protector Act gives provision for the public protector to evaluate information before it and refer certain matters that should be referred to competent bodies. And in this aspect, it has happened. Not even at the end of our investigation, immediately we interacted with these public bodies with investigative powers to find out what they are doing. And we compared notes and we left those investigations um, in line with the jurisprudence that has been developed in this country. Therefore, I think it is not correct in line with our evaluation of the matter that the president has gotten scot-free. We have not cleared the president on matters that we did not investigate. And, go and by the way, that includes the matter of the reporting um, of of the offence because that it falls under PRECA and it falls as an offence and therefore that is for the subs to investigate. There's going to be at least one court challenge, maybe more, uh, to your findings. I know you will have gone through the report many times. It's a lengthy report, around 240, 270 pages, I forget which. Do you believe your conclusions are going to stand up in court? And it's probably going to be more than one court. What I do believe, though, Stephen, is that, you know, so much work has been put into this report through proper processes internally uh, within the public protector and also investigative processes which we are bound by. There is a difference in interpretation of the law. The court might find differently in respect of the law, but there is one thing that um, I am confident about is that a court would not find that we did not follow due process in this particular matter, which has been the norm with the investigations of the public protector, and further that probably there wasn't any other malice in respect of the process or the investigation of this particular matter. But when it comes to the interpretation of the law, I would really leave that up to the court. And at this stage, I am factor so secure when it, be, when it comes to the matter. The term of the current public protector, Advocate Busasiyam Kobani, it ends in October. There'll be nominations for another public protector. That process goes through Parliament. Uh, as you know, you're the deputy public protector now, but you've been acting as the public protector for, for quite some time. Uh, if someone nominates you for the position of public protector for a seven-year term, would you accept the nomination? Indeed, Stephen, I would accept the nomination. So you're available for the position of public protector? I am available for the position. Uh, there are going to be claims that you are then guilty of a conflict of interest and that you have been tailoring, and you know these claims will come, I'm sure they've been made in public already, I'm sure you've seen them, that you you know, will have been tailoring your report to help ease that process. Well, you know, Stephen, there is a well-out process that um, 
appoints the the public protector that process goes through a lot of checks and balances and not just through one hand which part of it is a parliamentary process and so forth and so forth so it it would really be unfair and i can obviously not say people should not come up with, the, with those kinds of, of allegations but for me really my work speaks for itself of on how i've conducted myself as the acting public protector even as the deputy public protector how the institution has been run it can really not be determined just by the palapala report but even if you have to evaluate the palapala report itself if properly read looking into the work that has gone into that report that report is not my personal report that report is an institutional report where the investigators independently impartially without any fear favor or prejudice even of myself um investigated the matter and when due time came for me to quality assure the report there have been no findings that have been changed in that report it is the work of the institution and that for me is what is important and it is what i shall be guided about the institution is much stable the morale of the of the employees has grown so the so definitely we have steered the ship and in during my term as the leader of the institution and that should be looked at collectively if one wants to make an assertion that i am conflicted in this process advocate koleka i appreciate the engagement i know it's not easy to take questions on a report like this so thank you very much indeed for your time the acting public protector advocate koleka koleka on your radio this morning 28 minutes after 7